It's very disappointing. Oh, hold on. I just took a big bite of apple. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it in. Don't you dare edit this out. Nom, nom, nom. <laughs> What's up, nerds? It's basketball. Welcome to Horse, a basketball podcast about everything except for the wins and losses. My name is Mike Schubert, and I'm joined, as always, by my trusted co-host, the getting caught getting deliveries from Grubhub to Kelly Oubre saying it's chill to get Grubhub in the bubble, Adam Amawala. Adam, how's it going? <laughs> is that how you see me in this world, Mike Schubert? <laughs> it's just, it just goes hand in hand, you know? Me and you are like someone saying, hey, you can get food, and then being like, oh, no, wait, actually, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag shop low. <laughs> yeah, so if anyone's out of the loop, the NBA bubble has been very interesting and there are particular precautions in place for ways to keep people safe and properly quarantined. And if you violate these rules, you have to separate yourself from the team for 10 days. And Kelly Oubre tweeted, yo, NBA guys, you can get delivery. It's okay. And then Rishwan Holmes got caught doing that that day and got suspended for 10 days. Well, I hope it was a really good delivery meal. Yeah, I, I would hope that it is something truly fantastic and worth it. I don't even know what delivery food would be worth a 10-day suspension. But I still have to put that in one of those, like, what is the risk reward of you doing this categories? You know what I mean? Yeah. And also, I just, I have never been one to complain about free food. I'm not really in the situation often where people just give me food for free a whole lot. So when you see these NBA players complaining about the food and the hotels that they're staying in, it's, it's very disappointing. I would love to be <laughs> so well off that I get to complain like, oh man, this free food isn't good enough. Usually for me, if the food is free, that's like the qualifier. Like it's good enough if I didn't have to pay. First of all, as a stand-up comedian, I could not agree more about receiving any sort of free food. I absolutely love it. But I will say that from the photos that we saw posted, Yes, there are much bigger problems in the world, but it did very much look like it came directly from a Hudson News stand at LaGuardia Airport. <laughs> it's literally that brand. It's like a fruit cup and a turkey sandwich that was definitely put together six days ago. So before we talk about the NBA bubble and everything happening in the world, we have to center ourselves in our particular room where we like to get the most zen, and that is the Teal Memorial Locker Room. Teal, Teal's doing just fine. She makes sure that when they give her plain pasta, it also comes with a jar of sauce on the side, I guess. Mike, uh, could I ask you, is the Teal Memorial locker room uh, considered the room where it happens, the room where it happens, the room where it happens? Oh, wow. I did just watch Hamilton two weeks ago. So now I get this reference. <laughs> so you know who does deserve to be in the room where it happens? Who? Our new patrons. They sure do. They really do. Shout out to Katrina Beinborn and Patricia Pablete, as well as our new producer level patron, someone that made their name in honor of an old horse joke, something that I ran into someone when I worked at Papado Seafood Kitchen, mispronounced lobster bisque as lobster bisque. And they corrected me on it when I told them that it was pronounced bisque. They said, no, 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 I want the bisque. So we have now made part of the horse canon that our favorite player is lobster bisque. So our new producer level patron is lobster bisque. Oh my goodness. I sympathize with the bisque pronunciation only because I have a very traumatic memory of having been asked to read aloud from a book when I was in fifth grade and the word crocheting was there. <laughs> and I knew the word crocheting, but I had never seen it spelled. So I very confidently pronounce it crotcheting and I never lived it down. I love when there are these knowledge gaps that just continue well into your adulthood. Like it wasn't until probably four years ago 
that as an almost 30 year old, I realized that it's cuff links and not cufflings. I thought it was like cufflings, like earrings. I just never <laughs> knew what that word was. Uh, I have those so often. I did the exact same thing, same situation, reading a book out loud. I'd never seen this word before and I had to just say it on the spot and it was luncheon. And I said luncheon like it was a fucking Pokemon. I have to say, when I look back at the luncheon thing, I think it really just shows that I'm a grounded person because in fifth grade, I wasn't well off enough to know what a luncheon was. Like I I would probably be some snooty asshole if at age 11 I was like, oh yes, I've been to multiple luncheons before. I must say the food at this luncheon seems very much like it's from LaGuardia Airport. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Hey, well, speaking of food, our sponsor for this episode actually does good food. Wow, we've brought it together. What a segue. Today's episode is brought to you by Purple Carrot. They are a plant-based meal delivery service. They have sent me a box in the past, and when I got it, I will be 100% honest. I thought that plants would not sustain me enough. I thought this will be a nice appetizer. This is very cute. And then I made the meals that they had prepared, and it was truly delicious. And there's a lot of NBA players like Chris Paul who have gone fully plant-based, and I basically felt like Chris Paul. You know, there are worse ways to feel than feeling like Chris Paul. Yeah, he's doing great. He's revitalizing his career. He's got a nice beard. Why wouldn't you want to feel like Chris Paul right now? I completely agree. Can I ask you one question about Purple Carrot? Yes. Do they guarantee that when you cut into the vegetables, they will not be cake? Because I cannot be tricked again. <laughs> Every uh, Everything is cake. Every single thing. Nothing gave me more relief this week than the video of the guy just hacking up a tissue box with a knife to prove that it was not a cake. <laughs> This trend is very disturbing. Everything is a lie. You can't trust anything. I hate it so much. But anyway, Purple Carrot, it's true. And you'd love it because you can sign up for different plans. They have high protein plans, gluten-free plans, quick and easy plans. You can customize your orders each week. Breakfast, lunches, snacks are available. And you can skip and cancel your box at any time. So if you want to learn about plant-based eating and how it actually tastes good and can fill you up, despite me really thinking that it wouldn't, I was very happily proven wrong, you can do so. And as a horse listener, you can get $30 off your first box if you go to purplecarrot.com and enter the code FLASH at checkout today. So that's purplecarrot.com with the code HORSE at checkout today. So that's purplecarrot.com with the code HORSE. And you can start getting purple carrot, which is the easiest way to eat more plants, which are definitely not cakes. (laughs) So the only other bit of news we have here in the Memorial Locker Room is on July 30th, the end of this month. Multitude will be doing a digital live show. You can get tickets. 25% of the proceeds are going to Black Lives Matter charities. You can get those tickets at multitude.production slash digital live. Multitude hosts are getting in the mix. We're doing some familiar stuff. We're doing some new stuff. I'll be doing a meddling adults live. It's going to be a good time. That sounds like a very good time. Mm-hmm. So everyone, if you want to learn about it, go to multitude.production slash digital live. But now we can get into our first basketball related segment of the show, which we like to call full core press. Get it? Like the news? Oh. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to do that every time. Please, this brings me so much joy. You, I cannot express how happy I am. <laughs> so unfortunately, all of the news this time is bad news. Nothing good seems to be happening, and it's sad, but at least the second bit of news we will be talking about is someone standing up for themselves so we can look at the positive nature of that. But before we get into Elena Deladon, let's just address what's been happening. There's an unfortunate trend of sports players being anti-Semitic, and I just don't feel like 2020 needed to get any worse. But here we are. Yeah, it's not my favorite. And I think one of the most disheartening things is to see people fighting racism with other racism. It's just so counterproductive. It's especially disappointing because one of the athletes involved in this was Steven Jackson, who is incredibly vocal 
for the Black Lives Matter movement. At one of the Black Lives Matter protests he was at, he was there with George Floyd's daughter. Stephen Jackson, I mean, he grew up with George Floyd. Like, they were childhood friends in Houston. So it's especially disheartening to see someone be such a champion and an advocate for one cause and then back up someone who posted a misattributed Hitler quote on Instagram. That was Deshaun Jackson, a player for the Philadelphia Eagles. And then to make it even worse, Stephen Jackson doubled down on it. And I just don't understand what is happening and why this is persisting. I guess in situations like this, you have to hope that it's ignorance and not pure hate. But either way, it's not something that you should be putting out there when you have that kind of platform, especially when you have that kind of platform for a very good and important reason. Yes, that's what it seems to be is that it's more ignorance, but it doesn't really matter because even if you don't mean it intentionally, you're still hurting people. It's much like J.K. Rowling is doing with the transphobic stuff. She doesn't believe she's being transphobic, but she is, and she's not listening to people telling her why she's being transphobic, and that's part of the problem. And that's why the people doubling down on it, like Nick Cannon, is especially upsetting because they're not listening listening to the people from the Jewish community telling them that what they're doing is hurtful and anti-Semitic. Well, completely. And I think it speaks to a bigger point, which is listening to people, which should be mm -hmm. a fundamental thing that people are able to do. And mm -hmm. apparently it's very difficult for people. It's not dissimilar from people talking about tearing monuments down or wanting to keep the Confederate flag up. And they're saying, well, it's our heritage and we don't see it that way. If the people that it's hurting are telling you, no, it is hurtful to us, who are you to say, no, it shouldn't be hurtful to you? It just doesn't make any sense. A hundred percent. And it makes sense for someone's initial reaction to be defensive. But at the end of the day, if someone tells you this is upsetting me and offending me, it's not that hard to change. I used to say things like, oh, that's so lame. And then people told me, hey, that is offensive. It's ableist. So I just stopped saying lame. And I say things like wild instead, which doesn't make anyone upset. If someone comes to me and says, hey, wild is actually offensive, I'll change that. It's not that hard to find a synonym. So I just think people should be listening to people standing up for themselves and saying that this is hurtful. If you want to get more educated on the situation, I highly recommend checking out a Twitter thread, which we will link to on the episode page at horsehoop.com from someone named Milana. She is a black and Jewish woman, and she explains why people like Deshaun Jackson and Nick Cannon are saying these things and where these beliefs, these incorrect beliefs are coming from, as well as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, one of our favorite basketball playing friends from back in the day. He wrote an article expressing his outrage towards the anti-Semitic remarks being made. We'll also link to this article on the episode page on our website. Right. And I mean, look, neither you nor I are civil rights leaders, but I think it's not that hard to understand that fighting hate with more hate is not helpful to anybody. Yes, fighting hate with hate does nothing productive. It makes things worse. And I am not Jewish, so I did what people should do when you're trying to learn about a situation is reach out to people that are in your life that are of the affected group. So I reached out to Eric Silver, who is Jewish, and I said, hey, what are your thoughts on all of this? And basically, he said a lot of the same things the two of us have said here. But what he pointed out is one of the most upsetting elements of it is the general silence about the issue. You see people standing up against J.K. Rowling's bigotry. You see people standing up against racism. And then when anti-Semitic stuff comes around, Around, it seems to be a more quiet response. And it's a shame that ESPN goes as far as to suspend Woj for emailing the press person of a senator who sent an awful email telling them, fuck you. That warrants a suspension for a week. But Steven Jackson, who shows up on the jump all of the time, even though he's not technically an ESPN employee, they don't make any sort of statement about him saying anti-Semitic stuff. So the fact that people seem to be quieter about this issue is also 
upsetting. Well, yes. And even the way that it's framed in terms of so-and-so says controversial statement, right? it's not even describing what the actual statement was. And I think even when you see tweets or when you see headlines of articles, they're not really conveying the gravity of what's being said. And that's also not helpful. I also think some of the problem, because I was trying to research why Nick Cannon's tirade was awful. And it was hard for me in the articles written about it to find out A, exactly what he said and B, exactly why he said was anti-Semitic. I eventually got to the information, but it took me an uncomfortably long amount of time to learn what happened. So you would hope that the media covering this stuff could just straight up in these posts be more educational and just say, hey, here's what he said. Here's where it comes from. This is why it's offensive. This is why you shouldn't say it. And you just see, like you said, these vague statements of offensive remarks and controversial statements without actually just being straightforward about it. Yeah, so that's unfortunately happening. And hopefully more and more people will speak up about all of the issues, not just particular ones. And unfortunately, someone who had to speak up about another issue is Elena Deladon, you know, the WNBA MVP that was denied her request to opt out of the league because she doesn't want to die. Uh, It's, I'm almost at a loss for words because of how frustrating the entire situation is. It makes me like physically upset. It's incredibly infuriating. So Elena Deladon is someone that has been dealing with chronic Lyme disease since I believe 2008. She wrote an incredible article on the Players' Tribune. We will link this on the episode page of horsehoops.com. But basically, she submitted an opt-out request to the WNBA saying that I don't want to play this season because I'm immunocompromised. And if I get COVID, it could be incredibly bad news for me. So I'd rather not play this season if that's okay. Now in the NBA, if players opt out, there is no harm done and people get paid their salary and it's totally fine. People like Avery Bradley have done this. Elena Deladon did this for the WNBA and they rejected her request. Now Elena Deladon's personal doctor met with her and said, you shouldn't play. She brought this to the WNBA and they have a separate panel of doctors that according to Deladon did not reach out to her or her doctor directly. And this other panel of doctors said, nah, you're not really at risk. You can either forfeit your salary if you don't play or play. Now, bear in mind, Elena Deladon takes 64 pills every day. Every day. You can see a picture of it on the article that we share. She has literally her hands full of like horse pills, like gigantic, uncomfortable pills that this poor person has to take every single day just to maintain a baseline of healthiness. And she acknowledges, this is just to trick my body into thinking that I'm okay. This is a big, big issue for me. And the thing that upset me most about the entire article and the entire situation is that she has no right to an appeal. She had to waive her right to an appeal to attempt to opt out for medical reasons. And when they denied her, she now has no recourse. It's ridiculous. And on top of this, Elena Deladon has given so much to the WNBA. She is one of the biggest stars. She is constantly putting the league on the map. It's a situation with the WNBA where it's trying to gain more and more popularity and respect and coverage. And the stars have a vested interest in making this league seen as more legitimate by dude bro sports heads that think, oh my gosh, girls can't play basketball. And she's contributed so much to what the WNBA is. She's such a good player. And it's especially disappointing, and she points this out in her article, that she's given her blood, sweat, and tears to the league, and this is how they thank her? Absolutely. And to in any way insinuate that she's trying to get out of playing because she doesn't want to or because she's lazy. She literally played in the WNBA finals with three herniated discs in her back last year. Does that sound like somebody who just doesn't feel like playing basketball? 
I just, I'm just, I can't say it better than she did. So I'm just going to take that whole quote because I had it pulled out. It's absolutely incredible. Here's what she says, quote, so really all I'm left with is how much this hurts. How much this hurts that the W, the WNBA, a place that's been my one big dream in life as far and as long as I can remember, and that I've given my blood, sweat, and tears to for seven going on eight seasons, has basically told me that I'm wrong about what's happening in my own body. What I hear in their decision is that I'm a fool for believing my doctor, that I'm faking a disability, that I'm trying to, quote, get out, unquote, of work and still collect a paycheck. Yup, they caught me. That's why I played in the finals last year with three herniated discs in my back, all caps, which I love that she did that. That's why I work out during the seven months a year when we're not in season, when no one's watching me, when I'm not collecting my player salary. That's why I've crammed my 6'5 body onto so many coach class flights that I almost forget what it's like to have legs and feet that aren't dangerously swollen. That's why I take 64 pills a day because I'm the type of player who makes up a condition to avoid playing basketball. They figured me out. Mic drop explosion. I just, ugh. So beautifully said. Extremely beautifully said. And I want to call attention to something else that she said that I thought was really incredible because she also brought attention to the fact that as someone who's been dealing with chronic Lyme disease, she hasn't used her voice in a way that she feels proud about in the sense that she wishes she had brought more attention to that. And towards the end of the article, she said something that I thought was really perfectly worded. And I'll share that quote as well. She said, we can never fully understand what someone else is going through or what they've been through in the same way that no one else can ever fully understand what we're going through or what we've been through. I just love that as Mm -hmm. a sentiment to carry with you in the world, whether you're talking about what someone's medical history is, what somebody's personal history is. I love that she kind of tied it all together in that way. It was very well done and very well said. And I felt even worse for her that one of her takeaways from the situation was, I guess I haven't been outspoken enough about Lyme disease, but I guess I'll have to do that going forward too. It sucks that she's already in this bad position and then something that she's taking away from this experience is, well, I guess on top of all these other things I'm doing, I should also be a more outspoken advocate for Lyme disease. And she provided some information. I ended up Googling stuff because I very naively thought when I heard the Lyme disease stuff that that's just the thing you get from ticks, right? And I did not know that chronic Lyme disease was a thing. And I was uneducated. I Googled some stuff. So hopefully if there's any sort of silver lining from all of this is that Elena is able to set up something where more people are aware of chronic illness, which I think is something that a lot of people don't respect enough. Like I know friends who have Crohn's disease and that's always a big issue for them is people thinking that their illnesses are legitimate. So I feel so awful for Elena Deladon, but I'm hoping that there is some good that can come from this awful situation. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I would never speak for Elena Deladon because she can speak for herself. (laughs) And dunk for herself, you know. And dunk for herself as well. (laughs) But it seems to me that a lot of times athletes don't want to call attention to anything that they're dealing with physically because Mm -hmm. they don't want people to look at that as an excuse. If she's outspoken about having chronic Lyme disease and then she underperforms in a big situation, even if she were to never use that as an excuse, which I'm sure she wouldn't, there would be that narrative of people saying, oh, well, I wonder if she told us that so that she could use that as an excuse because people are awful. They are. People generally are the worst. So we, of course, will link to Elena's article on our website at horsehoops.com. I highly recommend reading it. It is a very well-written piece. And uh, Mike, as as I feel we're wrapping up Full Court Press, do you mind if I jump in with a, with a fun little tidbit to end on a happier, funnier yes, note? Yes, please, please, please do. So as you all know, the 
previous episode of Horse Hoops was my first episode as the new co-host. And as always, Mike sent over the audio file and he told me to listen to it. And he said, you know, let me know if you noticed any errors. <laughs> and I, t- <laughs> I remember you telling me that you were going to do this and I don't know what it is. I'm so excited. So I told him at the time, I was like, I think I noticed one error, but I think it would be funnier if I told you <laughs> during a podcast recording. So I'm not entirely sure if I was mishearing this, but I heard it a couple times. I think it's possible that you have been emphasizing the wrong part of my last name for the entire time <gasps> we've known each other. No fucking way! <laughs> no! The thing is, like, when, how often would you say my last name to me or in general? Oh, man. I'm, I'm listening back now, and I'm realizing that you say your last name differently than I've pronounced it for so long. <laughs> no, you, yeah, because I, really I, I emphasize the, the mama. You say mama walla. <laughs> Oh no. Which is also a new TikTok dance, by the way. If you want to learn how to hit the mama, we'll we'll have some videos up on TikTok. But it was so funny to me because I listened to the whole episode. I was like, there's clearly nothing wrong with any of the horse hoops related basketball content. But I'm pretty sure that my friend of two decades may have been <laughs> misemphasizing the first part of my name for 15 plus years. For my correction purposes, you give more emphasis to the walla, yes? Or at least the wa, like the third syllable? Yes, I say mama walla. Okay. Yeah, I guess I kind of, I hit the mama really hard. Yeah, like mama walla. But I think it speaks to just how happy and excited you are as a person all the time. That you just can't even wait to get to the walla. You just have to go mama walla. But if oh. you'll indulge me, I'll tell you I'll tell you a story that'll make you feel better and then okay, we can, good, good, we can good, move good. on. I'm a stand-up comedian in a world where that exists as a profession. But I've spent the better part of uh, of a decade doing comedy with people horribly mispronouncing my last name. That is not the case with Mike. Some people just don't even try. It's n- like I can I can understand emphasis. Is, it's not that hard. It, every other letter is an A. It's not that hard. Exactly. And it looks I think the A's scare people, but it is very <laughs> phonetic if you just try to pronounce it sound it but out. a lot of times people yeah people don't care or i'll be on a show and the host just doesn't give a shit and he'll mispronounce it and doesn't even apologize but my favorite thing that ever happened involving my last name i was doing a show last year uh in new york and they had the lineup up in the green room and the host was somebody who i hadn't worked with before he sees my name in the lineup he's like hey that's you right and i was like yep that's me he's like i'm sorry to ask you this i'm sure you get this all the time do you mind just saying your name a couple times so that i pronounce it correctly which i very much appreciate i was like not a problem Adam Mama Walla. He's like, just your last name. I was like, Mama Walla. He's like, sorry, just one more time. I was like, Mama Walla. So he seems to understand it. He's all good. About half an hour later, he's going to bring me on stage. He comes up to me. He's like, sorry, I'm sorry to be annoying. Just one more time. I was like, it's all good. Mama Walla. So he's like, all right, Mama Walla, Mama Walla, Mama Walla. He's practicing it. He goes on stage. He's like, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to love this next comic. You've seen him all over the country. You've seen him on Comedy Central. Super funny guy. Please give a warm welcome to Andrew Mama Walla. <laughs> he just <laughs> nails Mama Walla, but completely forgets Adam. Oh my goodness. That's great. Oh, you'll love to hear it. Well, thank you for teaching me that I've been wrong for so long. I, I feel very silly, but I'm glad that you phrased it as me just being excited and now going forward, I'll be sure to say it properly. Look, Live learning happening in front of our ears. I cannot stress enough how much I don't care, but it was just very funny to me when you were like, did you notice any errors? And I'm like, I think, but it probably won't be what you suspect. I'm glad you brought it up because I have noticed that it doesn't sound like you're truly pronouncing the C in Schubert. You're pronouncing it as if it's just S-H-U-B-E-R-T. Oh, no. It's been Schubert this whole time. (laughs) Oh, man. So that ends Full Court Press. Get it. Like the news. Oh, like press. <laughs> one, two, three. Three, two, one. Three on three. All righty, we are going to get into three on three. And oh man, I am so excited. And I'm thrilled that you guys hadn't done this before. I was afraid that this might be uh, stepping on something you'd already done. But 
Today, we are talking about the best and worst stadium foods from around the NBA. I am elated. I am flabbergasted as well that we've never done this. I don't have a lot of experience with stadium food in that it's usually very expensive. So I am excited to learn about all of these wonderful and probably overpriced food options. Everything at stadiums is priced in a way that is completely absurd. I think you and I went to a Knicks Pacers game a few years ago and mm-hmm. you had gotten the tickets for cheap and you were like, oh, just buy me a beer. And then I think me buying the two beers probably is what the ticket would have cost. Yeah, it was it was pretty close. The one positive concessions related experience I do have is that when I was living in Houston, they once had a night called Dollar Beer Night. Oh my God. Where if you got to the stadium, the first hour that it opened, so say the game is at seven o'clock, the stadium opens at five and you can get there early and see players warm up. Me and my friends got there at five o'clock, purely in efficiency mode of get the beer, drink the beer, watch players warm up for a cycle. I remember at 5.58, as we watched Steph Curry warm up, we ran back to get another beer before the time expired. It was an amazing experience. That seems like a very dangerous plan. And for anybody who wants to learn about something wild that happened in the world of sports, who doesn't even care about sports, just Google 10 cent beer night and you will see (gasps) one of the most frightening stories you can possibly imagine. It's something they did in the, I think in the 1970s at a baseball game. I think it was in Cleveland. I don't even know, but it went Both of the things you said sound correct. Cleveland and 1970s. It went predictably horribly. And there was a borderline riot at the game. I've only ever been to dollar hot dog nights, which are much grosser than dollar beer nights. I'm going to say that sounds objectively worse. So uh, let's start with the worst stadium foods. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So My rubric for this was kind of all over the place. Part of it involved things that just seemed gross to eat. The other rubric involved things that just didn't seem convenient or feasible to eat at a sporting event. That makes sense, yeah. So my number three on the list is roast beef and gravy fries at the home of the Pelicans, which I know you were planning to visit had the world not shut down, at the Smoothie Mm -hmm. King Center. There was one particular word that really threw me in this description, and this is what earned it a spot on this list. The highlight is these crispy waffle fries smothered in brown gravy and topped with roast beef debris. Oh, oh no. Oh, no. (laughs) Roast beef debris. While I did have a band called that in high school, not a particularly fun term. I'm going to see what dictionary.com defines debris as because it can't be positive. Scattered pieces of waste or remains. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds about right. I don't know if you can see the picture. Does not look appetizing to me. No, it doesn't. It looks bad. I mean, it It looks looks, soggy at the very least. It looks like it would just be a wet experience. The (laughs) fact that they've labeled it debris makes me think that it is just, I'm not not incredibly well-versed about the best cuts of meat, but it feels like the debris cut is the worst possible cut. Like it's just, oh, these are the things we were gonna throw away, but now we've put them on top of waffle fries and we're serving it to you, you diehard New Orleans Pelicans fans. Yeah, it's like meat shrapnel. Yeah, it's not great. That's really bad. Wow. I'm, I'm ex- the fact that this is number three has me very excited. Yes. Now, number two is very near and dear to us. It is at the Barclays Center, home of the Brooklyn Nets, and it is the Brooklyn Oyster Cart. Oh, God. I don't know how you feel about oysters. I think they are disgusting and they taste how snot would taste, I imagine. I don't think that oysters are necessarily bad. I think of the shelled, goopy seafood options, such as clams and mussels, they are the worst. I also think that they are just like in this realm of 
food that rich people have decided is good. So other like rich caviar. people decide. Yeah, like caviar. Caviar is absurdly expensive. I've never had it before. I can't imagine it's that good. But same things with oysters. I do appreciate that there seem to be a lot of appetizer or happy hours where it's like each oyster is only 25 cents or 50 cents or something. But it just seems like they are fancy food for the sake of eating because it's fancy and not actually because people like them. I totally agree. And predictably, as you've described, it is a fancy person, rich person food. They are only available in the sweets level. There's, a, there's an oyster cart that goes around and you can get as many oysters and vodka drinks as you want. Also, because it seems like such a bad thing to eat at a stadium. Like, yeah, when you yeah. think of going to a game, you think of hot dog and a beer or pizza or something, nachos, that sort of thing. You absolutely do not think of eating oysters from a cart. And if you think of eating the food that comes in some sort of shell, you think of it as being something very easily disposed of. Peanuts break apart very easily. You put them on the ground. Pistachio shells. If you finish an oyster, you've got a big hunk of shell. You're not just going to put that by your feet. It feels like yeah. I would eat it and then be like, what do I do? I, I totally agree. Now, number one on the list is something at the Pepsi Center in Denver, Colorado, called the Vegan Caribbean Vegetable Bowl. Now, I want to preface this by saying, if Purple Carrot sent this to me to assemble, I would be all in. Mm -hmm. It sounds good. But as something to eat at a professional basketball game, I could not think of a less convenient thing to have in your lap than, mm -hmm. than this dish, which, by the way, comes from a place with an incredible name. The stand where it's sold is called Faux the Win. Oh, <laughs> amazing name. I love a faux pun. I think faux places are very good at doing it. Pho is, oh, sorry, let me, pho is the correct pronunciation, but I do love that pho places make faux puns when they do it. I always think that's very important, especially if you're a food cart. But I think what is misleading about this name, which at first when you said it, vegan Caribbean vegetable bowl, you would think that that comes with rice or quinoa or farro or something that's easy to eat. But you're right, it's a fu it's it's a soup. I, how do you eat soup at a sports game? And even the, the utensils that they give you, it looks like, and I've never seen this before, we'll put the pictures to all of these on the website, obviously, it is a fork, but then instead of having a solid handle, it's two chopsticks, so it's it's like you can have one side be a fork and the other side be chopsticks. Neither of these are a spoon, and when I eat pho at fud places, they give you the chopsticks and then also the little spoon so you can kind of combo it. You're right, from just a logistical standpoint, this seems like a nightmare to eat at a sporting event. All I'm picturing is there being like a t-shirt cannon <laughs> and somebody spills this all over the person sitting directly below them. I just... You need a table for this, for sure. Like, you need a table. Your lap is not sufficient. And I just feel like this is a food, some of the joy of food that you eat at a sporting game, the traditional stuff like a hot dog, is you don't have to look at it while you eat it. I feel like my attention needs to be 100% diverted to eating this food. Otherwise, it's going to be on my lap. I would totally agree. And just in case you're wondering what this includes, it is a gluten-free noodle bowl that features aromatic Caribbean broth made from vegetable stock and flavored with a bouquet garni I don't know if that's a typo or if that's like some fancy form of garnish of habanero pepper, fresh garlic and Caribbean or Caribbean, however you want to say it, jerk spice, then served with a bed of squash, zucchini spirals and cooked sweet potato dice topped with carrot slaw and mango mojo sauce. 
I swear I'm good at reading. I feel like there are some typos in here or it's phrased very strangely. I'm reading the same thing you were reading and they didn't properly write diced. I've also never heard of garni. I don't know if this is the French way to say garnish. Garnier fructis. Yeah, it's the other thing I thought of. (laughs) Man, it also just doesn't look very good. I feel like the name of this is misleading for how bad this bowl looks because what it really looks like is shredded carrots from a salad bar Zucchini noodles, which I like that they've rebranded as squash zucchini spirals. It's just zucchini noodles. It's zoodles, yeah. Yeah, it's zoodles. And then it's just diced sweet potatoes. And then I guess like some peas? I don't know. This looks like you just took the leftover stuff from a salad bar and then poured in some broth. And then you said, here, eat it at a sporting event. It looks, this is the most obscure reference I will ever make, which is saying something. It looks a lot like what they're eating in that scene in Jurassic Park where they're talking about whether or not they should have made Jurassic Mm, Park. mm, If you know, mm -hmm. you know. And if you don't, you'll never know what the hell I'm talking about. But if you're ever watching Jurassic (laughs) Park, you'll be like, hey, he's right. And it's also kind of ironic that pronouncing pho pho, it's kind of a faux pas. Anyway. (laughs) Let's start a pho food truck right now called faux pas. All right, let me hear the good ones. I'm intrigued. Yes, let's get on to the good ones. So number three on the top three list is going to be the brisket potato waffle. Ooh. Now, where is that sold? If you're if you're clicking on it, I'm, I, I'm forgetting. Okay, let's see. Um, oh, <laughs> I was going to say, it has to be the Spurs, right? AT&T Center, San Antonio, Texas. Number three is the brisket potato waffle served at the AT&T Center where the Spurs play, which is not the only time they will be mentioned on this list. There's very good food in Texas, as you well know, uh, Mike Schubert. Texas food is so good. San Antonio especially. They are just so correct in their food. They're just correct. And the brisket potato waffle to me is everything that the roast beef and gravy fries are trying to be, but failing to achieve. I'm looking at this photo. This was not what I was expecting. I was expecting it to be literally a waffle, maybe with like a sweet potato batter or something. But it's really more of like a a hash brown patty. It looks so good. Right, that they grill in a waffle iron. It's a shredded potato crisped in a waffle iron, served with a choice of toppings, uh, including chopped brisket, shredded cheese and sour cream. Everything you want. Man, that looks fucking tasty. Now, in fairness, it's probably not the easiest thing to eat at a game, but it's certainly a lot easier than a bowl of zoodles. I think the thing, though, is you could at least, and this is something I was thinking about with the bowl, is that it's in a legitimate big plastic bowl. This at least could be put in one of those disposable little holders. You could put this in that and give you a fork and you're good to go. Totally. That's number three. Number two. Oh, the picture of this is truly food porn. It is the donut and spice chicken sandwich, uh, which is served at the Golden One Center in Sacramento, home of the I Kings. was not expecting that fried chicken cutlet to be so large. It is beautiful. It's the color of a Cheeto, and I mean that in the best possible way. It is a sriracha buffalo chicken cutlet served in a vanilla glazed brioche donut with buttermilk coleslaw and house pickles. I... First off, I didn't know brioche donuts could exist. And second, I have seen many a donut sandwich before that does not look good. And usually it's just lazily put together of a donut on each end. This is the bread. And they're thick and crispy, cream-esque and gross. This looks like they've done the correct thing, which is they took a donut and cut it in half. And also the fact that they've made it out of brioche means it's actually more like a bun. This looks so perfect. It looks incredible. And I have to tell you, part of the reason you have not heard of brioche donuts is that they initially tried to market them as bro-nuts and it did not go well. (laughs) (laughs) That is completely false, but it does make you laugh. That's very, gosh, man. Having a stand-up comedian (laughs) on the pod, this is great. We're having fun. (laughs) That's a very, very good looking sandwich. And if I am ever in Sacramento, 
Why the hell would I be? But if I'm ever there, I will definitely be getting it. And very underrated. The toppings look very good. The coleslaw pickle combo, which I've always thought is an underrated sandwich topping. It really feels like that brings you need, it together. You need the coleslaw and pickle to balance out the heat of the sriracha buffalo and then the donut just, oh. The heat and the sweet. You need the cool in between. It looks so good. It looks incredibly good. Now, I have a tie atop the leaderboard for two burgers. Okay. Now, I'll give you my 1B. So this is the, the second best one. Also at the AT&T Center in San Antonio. Antonio. It is called La Enchilada Burger, mm. and it includes two rolled cheese enchiladas coated in ancho chili sauce on top of the burger patty, plus tomatillo ketchup, crema, pickled red onion, and cilantro. This is just a menu item. Like, this is just a good thing you would go to at a restaurant. Guy Fieri is on cloud a million right now. He is over the moon. It looks so good because I love a good cheeseburger, but the idea of having the cheese come in the form of an enchilada is, it blows my mind. The fact that this is at a sporting arena is completely ridiculous. This seems far too high quality, but also so clutch and underrated pickled red onions on the top. And I oh. like cilantro. I know cilantro is a very divisive I love it. vegetable, but I'm, I'm all in on cilantro. I am as well. I feel so bad for the people who have the taste bud issue where it tastes like toothpaste. Um, cilantro is so good. It is very good. So that is at Burger Teca at the AT&T Center. Now the number one on this list, 1A, is a burger called the Triple Double at the home of the Phoenix Suns. I'd like you to oh, click on that. Oh, the name, the name. The, first of all, the name is amazing. I It might be for Jason Kidd, it might be for Steve Nash, who can really tell? But there's been a lot of triple doubles in Phoenix Suns history. This is a double stack of beer brat patties, beer cheese sauce, caramelized onions, and cider slaw on a butter toasted pretzel bun. And I cannot overstate how large this burger is. It's... So big that the picture I'm looking at, it's not fitting in the frame. No human being should eat this and feel good about it. I'll say that. <laughs> but in a world where this is your one cheat meal for your life, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I could not think of a better meal. And I'm I'm big into caramelized onions. Yeah. Oh, yes. Big, 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 big fan. I think what is perfect about this, and I'm glad that this one, I think that I would much rather eat the enchilada burger, but I think what makes this correct is the 1A choice is that this feels like you took every good thing about traditional stadium food and you put it all together in something that actually works. I don't know if you've ever heard of a place, I feel, I forget the name of the place, but it's in Jersey. They had a sandwich called the Big Fat Drunk Guy and I ordered it once where it's just a combination of every single meat and appetizer they offer on their sandwiches in one sandwich. Now it's very good, but it's just a train wreck of a sandwich. This looks like that dream, but artfully done in a way that is actually well put together. Totally. And not that all of these things aren't, but of everything that we just talked about, this is most Instagram worthy. Like I could see somebody ordering this just for the picture. It's very visually stunning. Absolutely. Man. And uh, and that's that's your three on three, baby. That is incredible. This was wonderful. And I hate that we are recording this. For me, it's 1230 local time and I've not eaten lunch yet. And boy, oh boy. Do I need food? <laughs> I'm also very excited for when you turn this into five on five to see what the honorable mentions are, because I could just look at these good and bad food options all day long. Oh, yeah, for sure. We'll have some some nice bonus content mm -hmm. for you. Oh, wow. So with that taken care of, hopefully I can match that heat with this that actually happened. And I think I can. It's incredibly different, but... Let me just ask you this question, Adam. He's a bit of a niche player, but are you familiar with the basketball player Ursan Ilyasova? Am I? 
<laughs> Are you? <laughs> yes, I am. Good. So he is a very solid NBA player, made a good career for himself. He's been in the league for 10 plus years. Now, what if I told you that Ursan Ilyasova doesn't actually exist? That is the weirdest 30 for 30 I've ever heard. <laughs> So this actually happened. I have to give all credit to Josh Elias, who wrote this article on a blog called The Score Crow. And all of my research came from this article because he is the only person to write a complete article about this. It was published May 31st of 2019. So this is pretty recent. And this story is ridiculous, but Ursan Elisova might not actually exist. I don't even know what that means, but I can't wait to find out. So let me take you back to September of 2002, a year where Jinko jeans were still a thing as were frosted tips. What a time. What a time to be alive. <laughs> Truly the glory years. I'm going to butcher every single pronunciation here. So to all of our Turkish and Uzbekistani listeners, I apologize in advance. But there is a man named Semisetin Bulut. He registers Ersan Ilyasova as a Turkish citizen on September 19th, 2002, claiming that he forgot to register his son's birth 15 years ago when he was born. As you do. As you do. You know, your son is born, you just forget, oh, right, I gotta go make sure he has citizenship. <laughs> so the problem with this, though, is the timing of it. One month earlier, someone named Arsen Ilyasov, who was an 18-year-old Uzbekistani basketball player, crossed the border into Turkey and then was never heard from again. He's been dead for 30 years. <laughs> The Uzbekistani Basketball Federation heard about this. They brought the matter to FIBA, the Federal International Basketball Association, I think is the name of that. The F might be something else. Shout out Carmelo Anthony, best FIBA player of all time. <laughs> they are the ruling body on international basketball, but FIBA ruled in Turkey's favor. Now, if it wasn't suspicious enough that the two people in question are named Arsen Ilyasov and Ersan Ilyasova, Arsen, the missing person, was born in 1984 and Ersan, according to his official documents, was born in 1987. So for any of you Little League Baseball fans out there, this could be a Danny Almonte situation. It very much could, and I also have to tell you that I was born in 1987, and my sister was born in 1984. Coincidence? Definitely. <laughs> for sure a coincidence. That has nothing to do with Refresh it. me, because I, I feel like I know more of this of, as a meme than a true thing. Do you know what actually happened with the Danny Almonte thing? He was like in the Little League World Series and he lied about his age? Yeah, he was. He threw a no-hitter or a perfect game in the World Series. And it was believed that he was, you know, of proper age, 12 or 13 years old. And then it found out that they had, I think, fudged his birth certificate in some sort of way. And he was actually like 15 or 16 playing against 12-year-olds. Which is a big difference. Yeah. So Josh, who wrote this article, goes deeper into trying to figure out what is going on because the information on this is very scarce. So first he goes through the name, Ersan Ilyasova. So Ersan is not a very common Turkish name, but Ersan Ilyasova, the supposed person who exists, has claimed he is Turkish. Arsen, the missing person, that is a very common Russian name. So that is something that is a bit suspect that he has a name that apparently the only other instances of it, there's two Turkish soccer players that have the name Ersan, but that's about it. But also, according to Josh, Ilyasova does not phonetically sound like a Turkish last name. So this supposed last name that he has just doesn't appear to be truly Turkish. Hmm. Okay. So Ilyas is actually a pretty common surname in the Turkish region. And Josh Elias, who's writing this article, 
actually states that that is the Turkish translation of his own last name, so this is an issue clearly near and dear to his heart. But the Turkic region includes both Turkey and Uzbekistan, the two countries that we're dealing with here. And the ova suffix at the end of it, all of this means is that the family originates from the plains, and as you and I both know, it's pretty common for very solid professional tennis players to have the last name Ova. Yes, there's a lot of Ovas, there's a lot of Avas, there's Maria Sharapova, Elena Dementieva, there's all sorts of Ovas and Avas all over the place. Yes, and I don't know a lot of things about language, but Josh also points out that it is a female suffix, not a male suffix, which makes it odd. The key takeaway here is that the name itself, Ersan Ilyasova, doesn't necessarily make sense as a standard traditional Turkish name. Right, and not that I necessarily understand that much more about it than you, but that is a thing I know amongst Russian people. Like there was a tennis player named Marat Safin and his sister's last name was Safina. Ah. So it's like they changed the last name to add an A to it if the person is a woman. That feels unnecessary, but I also don't know anything about language. Yes. <laughs> so Josh then moves on to his parents. Now, this is where it gets very strange because... If you try to look up who Ersan Ilyasova's parents are, you will get multiple results. His father's name is Anvar Ilyasova, according to Ersan's official website. But on NBA.com, his dad is listed as Enver Ilyasova. And if you just type in Ersan Ilyasova father into Google, it shows it as Enver Ilyasov. So you just can't get a consistent answer for who's this guy's dad. Can you imagine how difficult your job would be if more of our patrons were from Uzbekistan? <laughs> Look, I've gotten some interesting pronunciations of names, more so across Potterless, because for some reason, that podcast, big in Finland. But uh, thankfully, people on horse like to make their names jokes that we make on the pod, so it makes it a lot easier for us. <laughs> <laughs> but the other interesting thing is that if you look up the records of these three possible names for his father... There is no history of that person ever living in Eskishir, which is supposed to be his hometown, or that person being married to someone with the name Aralier, which is every single time you find his mom's name, the first name is consistent of Aralier. You also just never find this man ever living in Turkey. No, absolutely not. And I just have to interject to say that as a recent guest on your show, Meddling Adults, this feels far more confusing than anything Encyclopedia Brown <laughs> ever did. I am actively trying to solve this mystery right now, and I have no clue where this is going. It's only getting worse, because let's try and figure out his mom, right? Because it seems like her name is the same every time. But her name, Eralie, is not documented as a name that exists. No one in Turkey, Uzbekistan, or Russia has ever been named Aralie, not a single human being. Well, that's fishy. Incredibly. What makes it even fishier, though, is that Aralie may not be a name, but it is a word. And the word's translation means a divorcee in Uzbek, and in Turkish, it means a waybill, and a waybill is a shipping document that travels with a shipment of goods or passengers. What on earth? So this, his mom's name is Passport, basically. His mom's name is at best Passport and at worst Divorce. My name is Divorce Jones. <laughs> uh, that feels like a James Bond, whatever the girl love interest is. Right. It's always like the femme fatale is, ah, I'm Passport Divorcee. <laughs> But the, the thing of all of this is that regardless of what his parents' names are, if they even exist, is that the person who registered Ersan Ilyasova in Turkey as, oh, right, I forgot that my son exists 15 years ago he was born, I promise, 
The person who did that is named Semsetin Balut, which is definitely not these other names we've been talking about. Man, you really set up a challenge for yourself telling this story, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but Josh tries to go in and find more information about Semsetin Balut, and there's not really a whole lot of information. The only things that he was able to find is that he registered Ursan Ilyasova as his son, even though Ursan does not refer to this man as his father. And it's largely considered that he falsified all of Ursan Ilyasova's Turkish documents. What a strange tale. Completely ridiculous. Now, it wasn't like Arsen Ilyasov, the disappeared person. It's not like this person was a nobody. He was 18 at the time, and he was doing very well playing for the Uzbek under-18 team. He had drawn public interest from multiple teams, such as a Turkish top division team named Yulkerspor. So this guy was a basketball player that people were actively scouting and recruiting. And then all of a sudden, he just disappears. And then all of a sudden, this very good basketball player that no one has ever heard of shows up in Turkey and has a very similar name. And I would assume looks very similar. I feel like pictures could be a big thing here. Yeah, I mean, it, it almost reminds me of situations where someone is trying to outrun their past in some way and takes the name of a recently deceased person to try to live their life as that person. Like, I feel like I've seen that in movie plots. Right, except Ersan Ilyasova here, all he did was flip the vowels in his name and then add an A at the end of his last name. So not a very clever... Rebrand. Right. That would be like if you went from Mike Schubert to Mike Scubert. People would see right through mm -hmm. it. And what makes this especially strange is that one of the teams that was interested in other player, Arsen Ilyasov, who disappeared, they just happened to sign Ersan Ilyasova one year later. What the heck? So Uzbekistan, of course, tried to follow up with this complaint. FIBA turned it down. They ended up filing a suit against Turkey over this. And their objection, which I will not even try to pronounce in Uzbek, the translation that was so good, their objection included the phrase, quote, we know this child. This is our arson. What? And of course, I guess what it is, is he goes from having a 1987 birthday to a 1984 birthday. So if you can reduce your age by three years, it makes you much more appealing to, I don't know, if you're trying to eventually go play in the NBA like Arsana Elisova goes on to do. Yeah, no, that definitely checks out. And that's a big thing in baseball, uh, especially when guys come from places where there's maybe not as as good of record keeping. And this has happened in the NBA before too. Serge Ibaka, I remember there was a big hullabaloo about if his age was correct because when he was coming over to the league he just didn't look like he was 18 or 19 or whatever they said his age was so there's speculation about his age as well as some other people so this is still an issue that happens i haven't heard of it in a while but this is not uncommon to the nba i mean how could you really tell though you look at zion williamson who we know is 20 years old or whatever he is and he looked like a full-grown adult when he was 14. I know that I eventually will have to get over this, and I know that part of this is because I'm 28, but I still get carded all of the time. And I think that I've always looked younger than I actually am, which will pay off when, like Pharrell, who I think is 137, <laughs> I still look like I'm 30. Maybe that's just me, but you're right. When I look at some of the players like Zion Williamson or people that are supposed to be eight years younger than me, I'm like, that guy looks older than me. Right. But I'm finally getting to the stage now where I see 
rookies coming into the league and they definitely look younger than me. It's always sad when I think about my age because as I start to get into the age, like I'm at the age now where you don't want to give someone a really long contract in the NBA. <laughs> like when I turned 26, I was like, oh, this is the age where I'm supposed to have proven myself. And now that I'm 28, it's like, oh, I'm going to get one more four year deal. And that's about it. Well, if you're me and you're 33, you are past. Oh, you're out point. of the league. You're I'm done. Out of the league. Yeah, I'm done. I'm washed up. <laughs> Just retire. <laughs> So when Uzbekistan filed this complaint against Turkey, Turkey asked for the investigation to be delayed by two weeks, and they decided that that's what they were going to do. And then, of course, during those two weeks, they just couldn't find the information about Arsan Ilyasov's disappearance or Ersan Ilyasova coming back. Just couldn't find the documents anymore. So it's pretty clear that it is the same person, obviously. Pretty much. It's like there, there's right. just no way that it couldn't be. You have a one month difference between person A, who has a very similar name to person B. Person A disappeared and then person B showed up and previously did not exist. So Josh Elias tried to find as much information as he could, and this is pretty much the end of him finding concrete evidence. But he did find some circumstantial evidence, and it's not necessarily documentation, but it's still interesting things. If you go to a Chad Ford post about Urson when he was coming into the league, Chad Ford is this prolific writer who takes all of this time to study these people going into the draft, especially international players. According to Chad Ford, quote, he told us that he grew up in Tajikistan and moved to Uzbekistan when he was 13. He and his family then moved to Turkey when he was 15. So then, according to Ersan Ilyasova himself, Ersan Ilyasova is not Turkish, and then is not actually Ersan Ilyasova. Now, I assume he's not ever tried to play in the Olympics or anything, right? Or has he? <sighs> Let me just Google Ersan Ilyasova Olympics. Because that would seem inherently kind of shady. Nope, he's played for the Turkish international team. Wow. I wonder how Uzbekistan feels about that. Probably very upset, but I think that's ultimately, if you try to think about logistically why someone would do this, Turkey is much better at basketball than Uzbekistan. And then by lying about your documents, you're also able to reduce your age by three years, I guess. Right. And I also, I don't know enough about it to have an opinion, but perhaps politically it would have been better to be in Turkey than Uzbekistan, depending on what was going on in those countries at that time. I have no idea, but. I have no idea either. And this was just such a strange rabbit hole to go down. And it's also strange that the only true reporting of it is this article by Josh Elias. Of course, we're going to link it on the website, but it just feels like this should be a bigger deal than it is. And I guess that's just what happens when you have countries that are going to falsify documents. I feel really bad for Uzbekistan here. And Josh does link to a Turkish article, which Google Translate tries to do its best. But I think this is the perfect way to end this segment is with this quote. The starting sentence to this article about the Ersan Ilyasova situation says, It became national news when Ersan Ilyasova moved from Uzbekistan last year and was made a Turkish citizen in one day while shrinking by three years. <laughs> you know, this gives me an idea, though. Would it be possible on the next episode of Horse Hoops for you to introduce the third co-host, 30-year-old Andrew Mamawal? Can we do that? <laughs> Let me just th shave three years off. Everything will sound the same. For all intents and purposes, I'm the same guy, but I'm 30 now. So yeah, that is how Ersan Ilyasova might not actually exist. That... I think, actually happened. Very cool. That was a good one. That's a truly bonkers story. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Horse Horses, hosted by Mike Schubert and Adam Mama Walla. There it is. <laughs> Today's episode was edited by Misha Stanton. It was mixed by Mike Schubert. The social media is run by Mike Schubert. The music is by Bettina Campomanis. The art is by Alison Wakeman, and the website is by Kelly Schubert. Thank you to our producer-level patrons, Brianne Wingate, Adam Hartwick, Cody Powell, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Samantha Rose, Polly Burridge, I work with Eric's dad, Shooby Dooby Doo, I am Adam Silver, Godzilla Got Busy, Wilder Vandermaiden, Madeline Heising, Soap Slam Chops, Steph Curry for three! Bang! There it is. Siobhan Ellsbury, Kendra Hadley, He Sells Seashells, Aileen Gazesh, Catherine Lee, Ogmilk, Laurent James, Leah Loveless, Matt Barger, and Lobster Bisquay. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Horse Hoops. Follow us on Twitter at Horse underscore Hoops because... Horse Hoops illegally came into Turkey from Uzbekistan. So Horse Hoops is three years younger than we thought. Ah, but they're still banned. <laughs> banned! <laughs> If you want to see some sweet bonus content, such as us turning three on three into five on five over time, where we just shoot the stuff about basketball or some merchandise, you can head on over to patreon.com slash horse hoops. And if you want to see any of the articles that we talked about, including Elena Deladon in the Players Tribune, all of the pictures of good and bad food based on whatever your opinion of food may be, <laughs> and... Some bonus content involving five on five. Head on over to the website horsehoops.com. And just a reminder, if you want to see that Multitude live show, it is available at multitude.productions slash digital live. If you can't watch it live, you can get a replay of it. So if time zones are a problem for you, don't worry. And if you want to listen to Meddling Adults, my podcast, which just finished its first season and had Adam, our beloved co-host here, as one of the guests on the season finale, you can go to meddlingadults.com. But Adam, as we round out every episode, we're going to put our hands in the middle and say something on the count of three. I, I feel like we gave a lot of good faux puns here, and I really appreciated that that place was called Faux the Wind. So I think... I think Foe the win <laughs> on the count of three would be fitting here. That sounds great. All right, let's do it. So one, two, three. Foe the, the win. Gosh, now I really, I'm going to, I don't think it's available in Kelly's family's kitchen right now, but I'm going to try to piece together some pho. I think you should. Let me know how it goes. Yeah. Do you guys have any bone broth <laughs> and bean sprouts? <laughs> Does anyone here even have stinky tofu? What kind of squalor am I living in? Nobody's got a fork that's also chopsticks on the other end. What am I doing here? If someone doesn't have Forky available for me to eat this pho right now, <laughs> I'm going to lose it. <laughs>